Amazing testimonies. Thank you guys for sharing those. That was just perfect for what, what I'm talking about today, and it's just a, it's an awesome lead-in. Thank you for doing that. Um, let me pray. We'll kind of get going. We're kind of pushed for time, so I want to just jump in this, this topic today. Jesus, thank you for today's worship. God, thank you for the testimonies that you speak and you touch and you meet us where we are in our brokenness and our fear and our joys and our successes. Thank you, Lord, for this word today about meekness and mourning and that you comfort those who mourn, Lord. So I pray you just come now, Holy Spirit. Amen. So we're in this series called Counter Kingdom, and it's been, it's just, for me, it's been powerful because I, I have, in all honesty, I've kind of glossed over in a lot of ways these beatitudes. These are the bedrock, the cornerstone of Jesus' teaching, and I often would just kind of read right through them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the, I would just kind of read through these lines as if they're just nice kind of trite statements to get to the heavier stuff, like forgive your enemies and all that stuff like that. But like this teaching of Jesus, this, 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 these seven or eight verses are the, the foundation of our life in Christ. And so I want to really dig into these because I, I, this past week I discovered a pastor by the name of Colin Smith out of Chicago. He's a Scottish pastor, Scottish guy and a pastor in, in Chicago. And he has a whole book on the Beatitudes called Momentum. And he talks about how the, the Beatitudes build upon each other. They're the foundation of our faith, of our, of our growth in Christ. And basically like these first three are like the roots and the next three are like the shoot that comes out of the root, and the next, and the next one is the fruit. And so he talks about there, this is a this is a, a, a how we walk in Christ, how we progress and grow in our faith in Christ. When I told my wife I was teaching on mourning and meekness, she began to laugh. She's like, "You're here teaching on meekness," and I thought, "Wow, thanks, honey." She said, "Well, you can't be an expert in everything you teach. It's okay. Just read some commentaries." She said it so meekly and gently. But she's right. I struggle with meekness, you guys. And it's always been a struggle because I don't know what it means. I just learned what it means this week. So I'm realizing, wow, I'm not meek, but I need it. I want to talk about it. So I read a ton. I prayed a, a ton. And I feel like I want to just dive into this. So let's just dive into what Jesus is talking about. He says this in Matthew 5, these, these three verses. These are the three kind of foundational uh, beginnings of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Jared covered the first one last week. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. What does that mean? Is he just talking about, he's saying blessed means happy, essentially. Is he just saying happy are those who are sad? Happy are those who are sad, for they will experience comfort. He's not really talking about the kind of mourning that we experience when we lose something. That, that's important. He does, he's close to the brokenhearted. He's close to those who have lost things and have suffered. He's close to that. But this is not what that's talking about because these, all these beatitudes are actions we choose to do. We, we choose meekness. We choose to be poor in spirit. We choose to be merciful. We choose to hunger for righteousness. This is a choice. It's not a position of our hearts. He's saying, blessed are those who choose to mourn. And what we're mourning, what we're actually doing is we are grieving or mourning our sin. He's saying, blessed are those who are mourning over their sin, for they will be comforted. Now, hear what, I say, what I'm saying here. I'm not saying, blessed are those who, are, who hate themselves, or condemn themselves, or can't stand themselves because they have failed. He's talking about mourning over our sin that results in God bringing comfort. They will be comforted. 
There's a powerful, powerful verse that Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. He says this. He says, Godly sorrow, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. That's an amazing verse. Jesus is talking about godly sorrow that brings repentance. It changes our mind. Repentance is a change in mind. And, it, and that leads to our deliverance, our salvation. When we truly have godly sorrow for what we have done, specific things, not just generally, I've, I'm a sinner. It's the specific things that we have, we've wasted our lives on at times. We've spent our resources on at times, our affections, our desires. We've, we've rebelled against a, a king, a father who loves us, who wants to bring comfort. That kind of mourning produces repentance and leaves no regret. We don't sit around going, oh, I should, I'm such a failure. I'm such a loser. I'm such a whatever it may be. It leaves no regret. True mourning, true spiritual mourning leaves no regret but worldly sorrow brings death. The kind of mourning that you typically see and we typically feel sometimes is the condemnation kind. This, this, the, the idea would be like the guy who gets plastered on a Friday night and drinks too much. I'm not going to go into details with a lot of kids here. And the next day he's like, I wasted so much money, so much time. And then next week, same thing. And the next week, same thing. That's worldly sorrow. It brings death. It doesn't bring any kind of change. It just brings shame, condemnation, fear, remorse, but no real change. And so much of what we experience sometimes is worldly sorrow. But godly sorrow is the kind that says, Lord, not just horizontally, what have I cost? What have I lost? Or what have I done in a, in a horizontal? But vertically, my walk with you, Lord, what have I sacrificed? What have I, what have I given up? I wasted, just being honest, y'all, I, I wasted years in rebellion, immorality. I wasted years God had called me. God had prepared me. I had whatever, whatever, all the passion for it, but I lived in rebellion and I wasted time and I should mourn over that because it, it actually meant something. I cost other people their time, their effort to restore me and walk with me. It was beautiful. God's great. All that's great. It leaves no regret in my heart. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm so like ashamed, but it's like the reality is it cost me something. Sin costs you something. It costs us something, and we should mourn over our sin and our rebellion in a way that restores God, God's comfort, and God brings his healing. John Stott said, it is one thing to be spiritually poor. That's the idea that, the, the, the first beatitude, that we're poor in spirit. It's one thing to be spiritually poor and acknowledge it. It's another to grieve and to mourn over it. The truth is there are such things as Christian tears, and too few of us ever weep them. There are such things as Christian tears and too few of us ever weep them. Because it's not popular to say this in our culture. We just want to work, we just want to talk about grace, grace, grace as if grace is not including mourning, but it does. We often think of grace as just the, just the, the license to do what we want. But really, it's the power of God to overcome sin. That's what it really is. And when you mourn, you have a heart for those who are broken in the same way. You have, when you allow yourself to see yourself as you really are, you can empathize and have mercy on someone else who's not there yet, who's still in that broken place. It gives you empathy and compassion in a profound way because you, you don't know the power of their temptation. And so when you mourn over your own stuff, you become less judgmental and less harsh and less narrow in how you see people. 
We don't know the power of that addiction or the power of that brokenness or the power of that woundedness. We don't know that. So we choose to mourn over our own stuff and God breaks our heart for what breaks his. Spiritual mourning is beautiful and it shows us that we are all human. And when we see our own darkness, his light shines. Jesus, Jesus said, those who have been forgiven much love much. And it's almost as if God wants to walk with us through this dark room or this dark house of our souls. And it's not like he wants to like flip on the floodlight and go, look at all this stuff. Look at all this stuff. Look at all this junk over here, this dead animal over here and the smell over there. What he wants to do is walk with us through our souls and shine a flashlight gently upon the areas of our lives. And he shines a flashlight saying, son, daughter, this is an area I want to walk with you and work with you. We should mourn those things and we grow from that and we find comfort and we're able to comfort others. So spiritual mourning is, is huge. Meekness. What the heck does meekness mean? It sounds like weakness. It's a weird word. It's a word you never would say, you never would hear. It's just a weird word. So I made a video of my, my sons and I playing some games. And I want you to tell me, kids, I know you're kind of getting restless. So kids, I want you to watch these three videos. I want to show one video first. We'll talk about it. Next second one and the third one. So real quick, show the video. I want you to tell me if this is you, if you think this is meekness. Okay. Best of three, thumb more. Best of three. So, so kids, was that meekness on my behalf? Was that meekness, kids? Hudson, what do you think? I haven't, I haven't said what it means yet. So you were saying no? Okay, okay, next video. Next video. So I was not being meek right then. That was not meekness. Okay, next video. Okay. <laughs> was that meekness by my son? Was that meekness, you guys? Who do you think? No, it wasn't. That wasn't meekness either. He knows. He was kidding though. That was all a joke. Last video, real quick. Last video. Thumb more again. Okay, okay. So that was me faking meekness right there. That was me faking meekness. Yes, all right, thank you. Meekness is, meekness is not choosing to be weak. Meekness is not weakness. It's controlled strength. It's restrained strength. The, the definition that Colin Smith offers is control, controlled strength by submitting to God's will, 
God's word and God's people. So a five-star general can be meek. Even though he has incredible power, he can be meek. And a five-year-old boy, as I know, can be incredibly weak and definitely not meek. They can be weak without being meek. Power is not the issue. The, 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 the Greek term is praus, meek. And what that refers to is a horse. A wild horse, if you've ever seen a wild horse before, they have incredible power, they have incredible strength and potential. They have all this potential as these stallions. And what happens is they, are, they have to be, be tamed by someone who is gentle with them. They have to be tamed and cared for slowly over time. And that wild horse puts a little bit and bridle in his mouth. And that, that leader, that, that rider, tames that horse through loving it in gentleness. That's the idea of meekness. We are that horse. And when we experience God's love, God's father heart, God's tenderness, we allow him to be the leader of our lives. We submit to him. Submission is like a swear word in our culture. Submission. Submission means taking your mission, your desires, your plan, your goals, and submitting them, putting them before the feet of Jesus. We submit, and sometimes our, our plans are fine. There's nothing wrong with them. He, he just wants us to surrender those things to him. So meekness is controlled strength through submitting to God's will, word, and his people. Webster says that, Webster's dictionary says that meekness is enduring injury with patience, without resentment. So there's a sense that meekness, Jesus was the most meek human being to ever walk the face of this earth. He had unlimited power. When he was arrested, he said, I could call eight legions of angels to destroy you, but I choose not to. He chose meekness. He chose to go to the cross. He was the most meek human being that ever, ever lived. Meekness is being able to see ourselves in need of God and being broken by our own mourning over sin, that we choose to be submissive to each other and to the Lord. It is not easy. It is hard. It is a truly, it's truly hard. And so this is what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. He says, meekness is essentially a true view of oneself, expressing an attitude and conduct with respect to others. John Piper says, meekness loves to give place to God's justice and leaves its vindication with God. Meekness is the power to absorb adversity and criticism without lashing back. That is, I mean, it's hard. I mean, it's easy to sit before God and confess your sin, right? That's not that hard. You can confess it privately. But when someone comes up to you and says, dude, you know, I love you, but you're just being so selfish. You're just being so angry. We're like, get on. What are you talking about, man? What are you judgmental, so judgmental. But a meek person is like, I want to receive that stuff. I want to receive in humility the correction from the Lord, if it's from the Lord, so that I can become more like Jesus and I can experience life and freedom. That's how we grow. And that is the test of meekness. It really is. Jesus was quoting from Psalm 37. He said, the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Th Psalm 37, 11. What that means, that promise is that I believe in the new heaven, the new earth, there'll be people who have walked in humility and meekness that we've never even seen, known about, heard about, that will be given kingdoms and cities and states to rule over because they walked in such broken humility. They weren't weak. 
They were powerful, but they didn't need accolades. They didn't need recognition. They didn't need praise from men and women. They walked in meekness, and God's going to reward those people, truly reward people in the new heaven and new earth that walked in the spirit of meekness. We saw meekness this morning, two, two testimonies. That was meekness. Jenny Shea, that was beautiful. That was, that, was a, that, was a, that was a perfect example of meekness. Thank you for sharing that. So how do we develop that? How do we walk that out? And how do we truly like say, Lord, I want this, but like, how do, how do I pr- practically do that? Colin Smith offers a couple different ways. He says, first, ask God for meekness, that we spend time with Jesus. What we behold, we become. So when you spend time with Jesus, what you behold, we've talked about this many times, what you behold, you become. If you look at Jesus, you look at his life, his character, his nature, his love for you, you become more loving, more holy, more pure. You become more meek. What you behold, you become. So spend time with God. That's, that's not that hard to get. Like we, we understand that. Second is moderate your expectations of others. This is huge, y'all. We moderate expectations. We have such high expectations of, our, of parents, of friends, of teachers, of politicians and leaders. We, have always, we, we expect them to meet needs that only God can really meet. We expect them to meet needs that only God can really meet. And we, we feel rejected or we feel remorse or we feel anger towards them when they don't meet those needs. Colin Smith says this. He says, this is a huge statement. He says, as long as you see your life as a story of what others have done to you or done against you, you will live with disappointment, anger, resentment, and frustration. As long as you see your life as a story of what others have done to you, you will live with disappointment and anger and resentment. So we moderate expectations of others. We, 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 we lower our judgments of others. That produces meekness. Third, we make friendship with meek people. Like this, is, this, is, this seems simple too, but it's like, do you ever spend time with people who are angry? Like you hang out with them, you have lunch with them, and like you leave angry. You feel the anger, you feel the rage, you feel they're passionate about something and you go, that's cool, that's cool. And the more you spend time with them, the more angry of a person you become. Proverbs 22, verse 23, 24 says this, don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people or you will learn to be like them and endanger your soul. It's a scary verse because what You spend time with what you behold, you become, what you yoke yourself to. So if we really want humility and meekness, we should spend time with people who are like that. It's not that we shouldn't reach out to people who have anger problems or who are passionate, but there's a a real truth to like this. if If I continue to hang out with people who pull me down, who are critical and selfish and angry about everything and anything, posting on Facebook and they rage on this and rage on that, I'm gonna be angry myself, and it robs my soul. What we see right now is a lot of anger in our culture. We really do. There's a ton of anger, rightly so, towards what we were seeing as racism and racial injustice. But, it, but it, there's, there's more anger on top of that. And it's, it's breaking out into violence. It's breaking out into destroying property. It's breaking out into hurting people. It's breaking out into making sweeping accusations about all police and all Republicans and all Democrats. These sweeping statements out of this anger I can say this, if you go to a rally or a protest, a peaceful one or not peaceful, and your heart is angry and hateful 
and violence is coming upon you and rage is coming upon you, that is not the spirit of God. That's the spirit of the age. And I don't care how evil things are or things appear, the spirit of God will never produce in you hatred and rage and anger and judgment. It produces the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So we have to ask ourselves, like, it, it, what's behind all of this? Justice, of course. We want justice. We want reform. But there's, there's other stuff, too. And as Christians, I'm just challenging you. I'm challenging folks watching. Check our hearts and our motives. Ask the Lord what's behind this. Anger, rage, violence is not a product of the Holy Spirit. It's just not. And the last thing he mentions is take pleasure in the joys and the successes and blessings of others. Wow, that's a hard one. You got the job, man, I didn't. I'm so happy for you. Really? <laughs> you, got the, you got the raise. You got married, I didn't. You got whatever it is. Like, are we able to actually rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn? The Bible says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Like to really feel their happiness being yours, even when it's not yours personally. You didn't get the job. You, you're sick and they're healthy. They're making the money, you're not. They got married, you're still single. Or you got, you're, you're married and they're still single and you're happy, whatever. But, but really, like, are we able to rejoice with those who rejoice? Spurgeon said this amazing thing. He said, the meek person is glad to know that others are happy because their happiness is his happiness. That is so convicting to me. It's like, man, can I, can I look at someone and be like, I'm so happy for you and feel the happiness as if it's my own happiness. Like, I'm not, I'm not feeling, I'm feeling sick and I've got coronavirus, but you're healthy. I don't have coronavirus. So I take, strike that from the record. I don't have anything. I'm fine. But, but can we rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn? So those are the ways. We ask God for meekness. We moderate expectations of others. We take time and we spend time with those who are meek and we take pleasure in the joys of others. Meekness and mourning. These are the foundations and being in, in poor in spirit. These are the foundations of our, of our walk with Jesus. And it's not a popular message. This is totally countercultural. What we're seeing is not meekness playing out. It's not mourning playing out. It's, in a lot of ways, it's the opposite of those things. And I'm not going to get into all details, but I feel like we are called to, to speak truth and be salt and light in this moment by showing meekness, by showing humility, by showing gentleness. Even though we have the power in Jesus, even though we have the authority, even though we have all those things, we choose meekness. We're not going to respond in violence. We're not going to revolt in anger. We're not going to revolt in hatred. We're not going to go along with the spirit of the age because usually, well, usually, if everyone's doing something, it's probably not God. Sometimes, sometimes it is, but usually the majority, usually the majority is listening to a voice that's not the Spirit of God because they don't have the Spirit of God. That's the sad thing. That's the reality. The world is under the sway of the evil one. That is a biblical, factual truth. And so when Christians get swept up into whatever the spirit of the age is, we have to be careful. There's great things that we should be standing for in this season. Great things. Equality, justice, mercy, but rage, violence, revenge, destroying authority, hatred is not of the Lord. 
It's demonic. It's the spirit of the age. And I say that with all meekness. <laughs> so let's stand as we finish. Jesus was the most meek. So we look at him, look at his life, look at his heart. God is humble. God is meek. Let's just pray and ask God to do what he wants to do this morning. Father, would you come now, Holy Spirit, for those watching too, God, would you just come and shine the flashlight of revelation of, in, in, in your love on any area you want to show us, God, in our lives that's in darkness, God, the good and the not so good. Lord, we just invite you, as David did, to search us and try us, examine us, so that we could experience your comfort, we could experience your life right now. God, we just repent, I just repent of the lack of meekness, that the opposite of meekness, there's been pride and arrogance and haughtiness and judgmentalism and criticism. God, I repent of those things. We repent of those things. And we say, Lord, we submit to you. We submit to your love. We submit to your correction. We submit to your hand of leadership in our lives. Let's just be quiet for a second as Tim comes up to lead us in prayer ministry. Holy Spirit, would you come and speak?